welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, not much to report this week. I have finally solidified my insurance for next year, and it's ridiculously priced, but I don't have much choice. And I had my survey done on the boat for the first time in (laughs) quite a few years, and just as I expected, there really were no issues with my boat. I maintained my boat in a very seaworthy manner, so the surveyor really didn't find anything wrong with the boat which was good because I forwarded that that on to the insurance company so they could write my policy. And again, I'm going to go with Pantaneous. I did look at another policy that was a few dollars cheaper from another underwriter, but I looked at the coverage and I did not think that that coverage was as good as what I was getting from Pantaneous. Yeah, if you guys have any other thoughts on insurance companies, especially you overseas sailors, uh, let me know what your thoughts are. I think Pantaneous is the most common insurance carrier, at least among the people I talk to. But if you have other experience with other insurance companies, let me know. You know, I'm up here at the ranch studio again today, and the snow is coming down again Yesterday, I spent a couple hours blowing the snow off the road, (laughs) and I'm going to have to do it again today. We've had about another five inches. When I visited Chicago a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down with one of my listeners, Chris Reba. Thanks for uh, having me over for supper. It was great. And I skied with my friend Ed Valente uh, the following week, who's also from Chicago. Ed invited me on a sailboat race this summer in July. Actually, it's in June. I take that back in June, late June. But I'm hoping I'm going to be sailing in Croatia at that time. I'm laying out my summer schedule. I'm going to try to have that out uh, within the next week. And then I will be putting it out for uh, crew interests. Again, like I say, the first people that have dibs on the crew positions in the summer is my family and then my clients, and then my friends, and then everybody else that I haven't met that has contacted me through this podcast that wants to be on that list. If you want to be on that list, uh, it'll sort of be first come, first serve if I put it out to podcast listeners. And if you do have an interest in being on that list and you have not already contacted me or you have contacted me, uh, just send me a tickler note. So I remember to make sure you are on that list when it goes out. Send it to franz1 at medsailor.com. Now, I have not pushed my audio lessons for a while. But listen, if you are studying for the ASA 101, 102, or 103, I can't teach you to sail, but I can teach you a lot of the theory that you have to understand for the written portion of that exam. I can't help you on the the on-the-water portion of the exam But I have some pretty good audio lessons out there that are available. You can find them at the website, (laughs) medsailor.com. They're not very expensive, and I put a lot of effort into putting them together. I think they average about nine hours each. 
uh, for each of the different lessons. The ASA 101 is one lesson, the 103 is another lesson, and the 104 is another lesson. Now, don't hold me to the time. I'm not looking at the website right now. I did put the links to Vic Andrew or Andrew Vic's KMZ files in the website. Some people were saying we couldn't find them. And I went to the website, and it was not easy to find. You'd have to go back to the actual podcast to find those KMZ files. Now, these are the KMZ files that shows all of his tracks in all of the years he's been sailing throughout Croatia. These are Google KMZ files, and you can download them at the website. I think it's in recommended books and other the recommended books section of the uh, the website. And so you can download those. So I know some people have asked for those. Just go there to find them. Don't write me a separate email. If it's available at the website, go find it at the website. This interview today is with Andrew Vick, so we're going to go over his experience last summer. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from biminis and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. Now I only have one comment. It's not really a question. It's from Jason down in New Zealand. Actually, I'm not sure if you're in New Zealand or uh, or Australia, Jason. You've told me, but uh, I know it's down there somewhere. And you said, hi, Franz, low-level patron Jason here. Hey, Jason, thanks for being a Patreon. I really appreciate it. I don't care if it's a dollar or a hundred dollars. I appreciate you equally as much as everybody else. And by the way, anybody else out there that wants to be a Patreon, I will put Patreons ahead of anybody else as far as... Uh, crew positions this summer. It's just, just to give you a heads up. That's just one of the benefits they do get. Now, you can get to a level in a Patreon, which will guarantee you a spot on the boat. But nobody's taken me up on that level yet, where you actually pay enough to be guaranteed a position on the boat. And I will tell you when you can come. You can't choose the time when you come. It would be when I have that time available to you. So anyway, Jason, thanks for being a patron. Anyway, he goes on to say, Low-level Patreon Jason here. I really enjoyed the podcast about Maiden and the movie. I lived in London during that time, and as with most Kiwis, New Zealanders, was obsessed with all things to do with, with the Whitbread race. During the summer of 89, I think it was, I crewed on some overnight channel races to France, and on one of them was a New Zealand girl 
I don't remember her name, but she went on to crew on Maiden later that year, I believe. I saw the start of the Whitbread race that year in the UK. A friend and I went down to Portsmouth and paid a local fisherman to take us out to see the start. He had just come in from a night's fishing. We asked him a price, and I remember he said something like, I'll take you, but you won't pay my price. It was around 30 pounds, I think. And we paid no worries. He was a good man to go with, as he took absolutely no notice of the starting marshals and took us right in close for a good look. He also cleaned out a couple of old coffee mugs and made us a cuppa. Being a local working fisherman, I guess he felt that he could do whatever he wanted. I think the race was won by Steinlager II and Peter Blake, one of New Zealand's greatest. The previous year, I'd been living in Wellington, New Zealand, and Steinlager II made a national tour. On the day they came into Wellington, a group of us took our two Hobie Cat 16s and met Steinlager II mid-harbor and then escorted them into their berths downtown. So in summary, it's all very interesting to me, and I can't wait to see the movie. My daughters are 17 and 19. I've been telling them about Tracy and Maiden and trying to inspire them. Thanks for all the great podcasts, Jason. Hey, Jason, I forwarded your email on to the publicist for Maiden and Tracy's new organization. So I don't know if she'll reach out to you, but I just wanted to share your comments with her. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm looking for more. If you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. So I'm back with Andrew Vick. Andrew, do you know how many times it has been you've been coming on the podcast? I know it's at least three, possibly four times now. I think it's the third time, and I think the first one was uh, it was podcast number three. I think you wow. were curious about Albania way back when, and that, go, uh, that goes and way was on back. a couple years back. <laughs> you can't even get that. I'm going to have to re-release those those uh, audios because right now we're this is we're in the 170s now, and I think uh, iTunes only shows the last 50. So I may have to re-release some of those early podcasts because there's a lot of good information in those. And, no, no, there is. I'm glad you're still at it, too. Yeah. They're really good. I, I listen to them all. Oh, good, good. So we tried to hook up last summer, and uh, and we weren't able to. <laughs> you were headed yeah, yeah, north. Yeah, well, what happened there? I was, uh, <clears throat> you were coming up from the south, right? Or where, where were you last summer again? We, I headed over at the end of, well, actually, the 1st of July, I headed, headed over to Dubrovnik, put the boat in the water, went down to Montenegro and started my time clock over again and then uh, worked my way up as far as Troger. And when I got up to Troger, you had come and left and you were off to other places. And, uh, and I, but I did talk to the, uh, the woman behind the desk at the Marina and she knew you very well. Yeah. She smiled. <laughs> cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I think maybe I should um, just just so your listeners know, in case they didn't listen to podcast number three. So, like you, I've got a boat over in Croatia. I, I bought it's an old Islander 36 that was uh, it was one of these California plastic classics built in 1976, and uh, I bought it in 2008 in Pisa, Italy, and uh, ended up at the end of that summer in uh, in Split, Croatia, actually Trogir, which is near Split. And so I've been based there for uh, for 11 years. And like you, you know, I live here in the States. I'm in San Francisco on the West Coast. And I fly over once a year, just like you do, you know, June, July, August. You know, I usually get about six weeks on the water each year with various sort of friends and acquaintances that, that join me. So so it's been amazing. So we have a lot in common in, yeah. that, in that sense, Franz. Yeah, the difference is you always keep it in Croatia. And between the time I t- first talked to you, I w- went and took it back to Turkey and spent a few years in Turkey and worked my way back through Greece. But now I'm back in Croatia. And uh, this year my goal is to sail the boat up to Venice and then winter the boat in northern Italy. And you turned me on to a friend of yours uh, around the Venice Lagoon that's uh, – that I need to reach out to again, that gave me some good leads for where I might want to winter my boat next summer. So I appreciate that heads up on that. Yeah, sure thing. And I want to hear about your uh, how it goes up there in Italy because yeah, things are getting expensive. I had a kind of a sweet deal for for a while in Croatia, but uh, prices are catching up to normal. So um, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeking out some sort of Italian alternative down the road. So I'll be bugging you for sure after after the summer here. Well, the reason oh, it's going I, up there. you know, last summer, the reason I'm, I'm exploring northern Italy, there's a little place just north of Venice, right at the very top of, uh, of the Adriatic, where if you look in there, there's a whole bunch of boatyards up there. And I actually talked to a um, Scottish sailor at the end of the summer. We went out for pizza, and I said, well, where are you going? Because he was just putting his boat in the water and heading north. He said, I'm taking my boat up to where I winter it. And I said, well, where do you winter it? And he told me, and he told me how much he paid. And I just said, okay, that's where I'm going next year. So, <laughs> Yeah, of course, the prices. And you get you get away pretty well. I mean, are you – your boat is short. I mean, you got the big bowsprit, but I think on paper you have a, a fairly short boat. Yeah, and right? I got I got busted on that one time in um, at one of the ACI marinas for the winter. They actually came out and measured the boat. And uh, they said, no, 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 you can't get away with that. You're going to be paying for the full 37 feet or 36 mm-hmm. feet. Uh, but but where I'm at at ACI Marina, they they know I've been back there. This is my fourth year back there, so they don't bother me. I'm sort of, I'm, I think I'm grandfathered in. They don't give me any static about it any, at, at all at ACI in Dubrovnik. But yeah, I think once you're in the system, you're, you're in there. But hey, have you been keeping tabs? This is February 2019. There was a massive storm in Croatia this past weekend. They had some r- record Bora winds, and it's, it was insane, I hear. Yeah, actually, this morning I got an email from my, my surveyor, and, and this is the first time I had my boat surveyed since 2009, and it's because Pantaneous... Uh, this canceled me last year, and then they said, no, we can't write you anymore out of Germany. You're going to have to contact Pantaneous in New York or San Francisco, and they'll write you. And so they're requiring that I get a survey, which is okay. It's just it's damned expensive. The surveyor cost me $560 after the conversion from the, you know, it was basically 500 euros, and so basically $560. But anyway, he wrote me an email and, a, and sent me a picture, and he said my full cover is uh, is getting damaged because they had 70-knot windstorms this weekend in there. 
and he suggested I get my cover taken off because it, I knew earlier this year the, a big windstorm would come up and it had torn off the zippers. It really hadn't done any damage to the actual boat cover, but the zipper, again, this comes back to, uh, it's not the zipper that wore out, it's the thread that, uh, that was used to sew on the zipper. The, the polyester thread just wears out in the, sun, in the sunlight. Nothing seems to last in the sunlight. And so the zipper was fine, but the thread disintegrated, which led to the zipper being torn out of the cover. And so I called up the marina this morning, and I said, hey, you know, will you send somebody over and take off the cover and put it inside the boat? And then she said yes, because we're expecting big windstorms in another couple days again. So, uh, yeah, it's been really strong over there. What have you heard? Yeah, I guess in my marina, so up in Trogir, so I'm on the hard, uh, like you are, and yeah, they, were, they had recorded a 97-knot gust uh, in my marina on Saturday. Wow. So I'm waiting for a report to hear if my dinghy is still on my bow. Yeah, yeah I keep the dinghy up on the foredeck all strapped down. Um, you know, it's funny, they uh, they point all the boats, the boats on the hard, they point them northeast, that's where the Borowind comes from, mm-hmm. northeast. so they make sure they point them that way so that none of the boats take it broadside. But I guess the boats in the water, which was mostly you know, the charter fleets, I heard that they were heeling so much over in the slips that the tow rail of one boat had the bottom paint of his neighbor neighbor's boat, you know, <laughs> scratched up on the tow rail. Oh, wow. it, it just must have been insane. Well, that's one more reason to take my boat out and put it on the hard. I figure on the hard, it could. The worst that can happen is a cradle tips over, but. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty bad, but I think I would have an argument with the marina as to whose problem it is at that point in time. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, so so I went. Yes, I was actually sailing in Croatia on. I was actually in the Met on three different boats this summer. So I started off in June in the Ionian. A buddy of mine, he actually sailed with me in 2015, and he kind of caught the sailing bug and got a did a crash course. He got an ASA license, the 104, uh, in Greece. It was kind of some three-week intensive course where you're just on the boat for three weeks. So he did that. He did some more sailing. Then he actually bought himself an Amel 54, which is those nice French cruise, you know, ocean-crossing boats. I don't know. Do you know those, the Amels? You know, I just don't know my boats. I'd take a look at the picture and say, yeah, that's a great boat to have. But no, I'm not familiar with that one. But it sounds like an expensive boat then, huh? It was, yeah, half-million-dollar boat, 54-footer. Um, yeah, he, he kind of he went all out. He had a bit of money. But, um, yeah, so he uh, was starting off his summer in uh, in the Ionian. So it was fun to kind of get back to – I'd only been down in the Ionian side of Greece um, one time before. So so where did you he start did the whole, Let's talk about it. Yeah, we started off in Zakynthos. You know, funny, so he bought the boat in April, got it all fixed up. He hired someone to kind of mentor him as he did a nonstop from Gibraltar to Zakynthos, which oh, is wow. what, like okay, 1,400 a, miles. That's a long ways, yes. <laughs> of course, knowing boats, I was skeptical, like if, you know, gear can break down, things can go wrong, right? So, And uh, I knew, though, that he had to skirt pretty close by Sicily on the way and that he would be back in, in, in cell range once he was close enough to Sicily. So I said, hey, you know, make sure you're within 20 miles of Sicily so you can shoot off a text message. Just tell me every, that everything's okay. And he did. So, so I booked my flight and uh, met him on June 1st, so in Zakynthos. Now, was there a reason that he was going nonstop from the Straits to, uh, to Zakynthos? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I guess he was eager... He was staying. He's an American guy, but he was staying in Sweden for some time, and he was afraid of the whole the whole Schengen thing. So he needed to get out of Schengen. So 
his goal was to get to Croatia by a certain day. And he was really counting all his days. I mean, he had all kind of mapped out on, on the calendar. So, so he wanted to get to Croatia and he also knew that I would be there. We'd be able to do a bit of buddy boating. So, so that's why he had the mad dash across. <laughs> okay. So you joined him in Zakynthos and then did you bring it all the way up to Croatia with him? No, we just had an easy kind of 12, 13 days from Zakynthos up to Corfu. So okay. we kind of did the whole Ionian there. And um, yeah, it was nice to be back. Um, cool. I know people, cruisers kind of compare the Ionian with, with Croatia quite a bit. I mean, it, for pure sailing and island, you know, island hopping and short tacking between islands and intimate harbors and bays where you can swim and tie off to shore and go to restaurants on shore, I mean, I think Croatia and Ionian Greece are probably the top spots in the Med, if, if that's your kind of sailing. Yeah, that would I'd agree with that. And I'd say probably in Greece, the Ionians are, you know, well, they become super popular. And as you probably found, everything was crowded now in, in, in the Ionian Islands. Well, I was lucky to be in early June. Um, so I guess all, because I'd been there before in high season. And I mean, that's eight years ago now, but that was, yeah, that was a, a big mess and all the these british flotillas just 10 boats at a time coming through and you know they usually have the flotilla guy kind of parking or mooring the boats for them because they're not not that experienced and yeah it ends up being kind of a big mess yeah yeah so that was the first so you got off in corfu did you drive did you fly home or did you just go right up to your boat at that point in time actually flew up to Denmark to do a little uh, family reunion. Like you, I have, uh, you know, my descendants are Danish. So I was up there for a bit and then came down to Croatia. But I tell the Ionian, it was kind of cool down there. I got to say the, <clears throat> you've been much more in Greece than I have, but mm -hmm. I tell you, the food is way better, way cheaper. Oh, yes. Everything's and, and, cheaper in Greece, much cheaper in Greece. <laughs> yeah. And people are nicer. <clears throat> just all the locals, the restaurant people, everyone's just super jovial and, and, and friendly. I'm so used to Croatia. There's a certain style in Croatia. And, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciated, uh, parts of the, you know, the, the Greek way and all the cats. I'm a cat guy and there are just cats everywhere in Greece. Oh, catamarans or uh, pet, the cat pets? Uh, okay. <laughs> the four-legged ones. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the marinas are cheap. Well, not the marinas. Actually, there aren't that many marinas in the Ionian and they're sort of normal price. Um, but all the mooring, the free mooring you can do at all the town keys and things. It's, it's, it's crazy. How, once you're used to Croatia, where you're spending at least 50 bucks a night to be in a town key and up, you know, it's great to be in Greece where they charge you so little, if, if anything at all. Yeah. And you're making me think I want to go back to Greece too. I mean, Cause I, I got really <laughs> tired of that in Croatia too. Everybody has their hands out all the time. Mm -hmm. It seems like, but, but at know. least the town keys, the town keys in Croatia are a little more organized that they have all the lazy lines and it's, it's very structured. Um, cause you know, Greece every morning, there's that whole anchor thing where, you know, crossed anchor chains and you think you're secure and everything's good. And then your neighbor picks up your anchor as he leaves. And, um, so you don't have that in Croatia with, with the way they put the lazy lines in the water. You're right. So, you're right. That is a little differences, but you pay a lot for that. You pay a lot for that. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, sometimes that makes for entertaining, uh, entertaining mornings too. <laughs> there's a lot to watch for sure and yeah there's that funny hook you you every they had the hook where you can kind of pick up your neighbor's chain but then you can release it again i don't know if you have one of those no i learned to do little... that uh just with a just with a line i just I, you know i just whenever i've crossed anchors or pulled up somebody's line it's gotten hooked on my on my anchor i just pull it up and i'll tie a line uh just from my the bow of my boat down underneath the chain 
and then back up to the boat again and tie a slip knot in it and then lower the lower my anchor so now the chain's being held up by the line that I just passed through it and then clear it and then just let go of the the uh the the slip knot and then it, the chain falls free free. I've done that by myself several times. So it's not that big a deal, but if unless you've done it once or twice, it seems to be fairly complicated. I I know I met uh, four physicians that were chartering a boat in Greece one time and and they'd gotten their line hooked on it was a, it was on a mooring line. It was a really heavy mooring mooring line and it was a real strong wind and they couldn't figure it out and I kept yelling at them what to do and they they didn't do it and my boat, my dinghy wasn't in the water so finally I could see that they weren't going to uh, figure this out on their own so I took my dinghy out and helped them and then they brought me by a bottle of whiskey later on that night so that was worthwhile so <laughs> that is nice yeah when you have a little experience and you can kind of help people out yeah or I've helped people more quite a bit in Croatia or you know on a windy day maybe they you know tie off temporarily to my boat as they're kind of getting settled and yeah you usually get a bottle afterwards it's kind of nice <laughs> yeah so okay so you uh, went to Denmark then came back to get on your boat yeah, back down to Croatia. But before I got going on my boat, you know, typically I get like six weeks in each summer on my boat. But a buddy of mine uh, who was kind of took his family, his two kids and his wife on this round the world trip, he was chartering a boat and got me to agree to be his skipper for a couple of weeks. So I got to be on kind of a fancy late model, uh, a uh, Elan 45 for, for a couple of weeks with, with the family. Which is not my usual style. You know, most of my cruising is, you know, with my buddies and we go around and I'm, I'm in my 40s now. But we still, you know, we don't mind going to the bars or anchoring next to a nightclub or anything. So, yeah, so sailing with the kids was a little different story, but but still really fun. Um, fun to try, a, you know, different model boat. And, yeah, so I showed them all the all my favorite spots in, uh, you know, around Trogear. They rented right out of Trogear, which is where my boat is based. So that was that was pretty easy. I went straight from, you know, I put the tools down when the boat was ready and then hopped on their charter boat and, uh, yeah, went around with them. Yeah, I think when I went into Trogear, I, I followed your advice, and I went in on the day that all the charter fleets were leaving. As I was driving in or, or motoring into Trogear, I saw this this catamaran after catamaran after catamaran after catamaran heading out for the uh, for the <laughs> islands and it seems like catamarans have become uh, very very popular in in croatia for chartering and so they had plenty yeah. of room and there's definitely marina. some yeah exactly the, the the charter base marinas you know have tons of room except for friday and saturday i mean saturday in theory they should all be going out so they should have space but friday night is impossible to get in some of those marinas but but the rest of the time it's it's perfect they're actually they're only half full you know during the week so unlike kind of the more popular spots out in the islands that are then really packed for the whole week but then come friday and saturday they're they're just empty so those are little tricks you know you kind of pick up over the years and figure out what you know, which places are what kind, right? What, what's a charter base, what isn't? And um, so it starts to become pretty manageable to get space there, even even in the high season. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about where you went then. Yeah, you know, with the, with, with the family tour, we, well, what do we do? We went up, we went up the coast a bit, you know, towards Shipenik and then up the river to Skradin. That's mm-hmm. always popular. That's, that's always where the Kirka waterfalls are. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, that's it's really beautiful spot in there. I love getting in. It's eleven miles up the river to get there under a couple of bridges. Have you sailed it all? And, have uh, you sailed all the way up yet? You know, I've had my boat a few times. I once or twice. I think we actually sailed all the way in. You know, a lot of that was kind of just sort of drifting downwind. Uh, but the river does snake, snake, snake through a bit. 
but yeah, that's yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. We have actually sailed in. Have you done that? Yeah, I've done it one time, and and it was the wind was right from my stern. I thought thought, well, why why am I motoring? I can just put out my my lapper, my jib, and just uh, go up the sail under the jib. And I did, and I was almost as fast as the boats that were motoring. Not quite as fast. But much more pleasant sailing. I'd have to jive mm-hmm. it a few times as I went through those little twists and turns. But uh, yeah, I felt uh, I felt like a superior sailor when I did that. <laughs> you know, you're the only one who was. You probably didn't see any other boat sailing because when I did it, yeah, I was the only one. All you know, these charters, you know, they're in a hurry. You know, if, if they can't make the boat go, you know, five six knots at least, you know, then then they fire up the motor. Yeah. So yeah, but that's always worth yeah. going. I, I actually went to Scraden mm, year before last. Uh, by car just to drive up from Dubrovnik because I had some friends that were with me and we weren't going to be able to take the boat up there. So we, we rented a car and drove up. And it's it's a lot longer than you think it is just to get up there. I was surprised how long it took us to drive up there. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we had a great time with the kids. You know, it's kind of fun showing them, you know, just fun seeing kids just jumping off the boat. I mean, what a perfect vacation, you know, for for kids. And these kids were all between sort of four and ten years old or so, so. They're having a blast. You know, the boys are driving the dinghy around and, <clears throat> you know, paddle boarding and all that. So, yeah, super fun. We had some trouble one night, though. It was mid-July. It's actually July 16th. We anchored one night on an, uh, out on the island Vis. We sort of found a what looked like it would be a good spot, nice little bay, and tied up, you know, and as – one second. Sip of water. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, we did the usual thing, or what's common in Croatia, you drop your anchor, but then you take two stern lines to shore just to, uh, you know, it's probably too deep to swing, swing around. So you, you drop the anchor and take some stern lines. It takes a little doing to get it set up. You have to have a, send someone in the, in the water with, with a couple of lines and he has to find some, you know, some rocks or trees to tie, to tie to. But so we got pretty well settled. Um, there was some yeah, I think it said light isolated thunderstorms that night. So, so we knew we had to be a bit on the lookout. Um, but then at midnight, everyone had gone to bed. I was still up kind of, uh, yeah, about to go to bed myself. And then we had this massive gust of wind come through. And so of course I ran out to the, uh, to the cockpit and I saw that, man, we were pretty much on the rocks. Uh, I mean, within seconds we were, you know, the anchor just didn't hold with the broadside wind. And, um, we were just bouncing on the rocks, which was which was horrible. I mean, just just actually um, touching the rocks, just bumping against again. Then, yeah. Well, I get up and we're going closer, and then we're more, and we're hitting harder and harder, and the seas are building up, and uh, and we try some tricks. We, you know, we were gonna we got the motor fired up, but I was afraid to put it in gear because you know when you do that anchor out front with the two stern lines, you know, you go from your rear cleat out at about a forty five degree angle to whatever rock or tree you can find. Um, and then the, so our port side stern line, one holding our port cleat, that was super taut. Whereas the starboard one was kind of draped down and kind of, you know, sunken in the water between the hull and the rocks. And I was afraid to engage the propeller. I didn't want to catch that line in in the prop. So we were using, uh, between the bow thruster and the electric windlass to try and kind of pull us out, but none, none of that was doing anything. And, um, and we're trying to kind of position fenders so that we're not bashing too hard. But, you know, the seas are building. The wind is building. Um, starting to rain a bit. And um, so we basically evacuate everybody. We get the kids. And this is midnight. So we actually get the kids. We, you know, we all have life jackets on at this point. So we just get the kids, the parents. We get everyone, you know, off the boat. So there we are, the, the kids and 
and the wives kind of scurried away up the cliff a bit. And me and the, the two dads are sitting there saying, you know, what now? We're trying to hold the fenders in place to, uh, to keep the hole from, 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 from continuing to bash. And um, <laughs> then suddenly that remaining stern line, the one off our port cleat that's going around a rock, that finally parted at the rock. It was, you know, they chafed through, you know, the rocks are a bit sharp. And once that line parted, the, the boat started kind of just kind of floating away on its own. It kind of it, it extricated itself from the rocks um, with this uh, stern line dangling. And um, we're like, okay, well, that's kind of good, except the boat's floating away. So, uh, so I launched myself into the water. You know, this is this is dark. You know, the waves are building up, and uh, and I catch that 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 stern line that's still dangling. And uh, so I so the boat's kind of pulling me out into the bay. You know, it's a cute, intimate little bay, maybe you know, 250, 250 feet across. Okay, so let's stop like right here because I got zoomed in on Google Earth and tell me where you were so I can really visualize this. Then, so you got the northern town of Vis. And then you've got a, a marina over on the west side called Comiza. And then you have a whole bunch of little inlets on the south side. It looks like there's some So I'm acres. on the north side. Okay. All right. So up on the north side. And um, so if you find the town of Vis, mm-hmm. and then you go about six nautical miles of sailing to the west. Okay. Yeah. There's. I see there's a few little inlets over there. Right. Okay. Yeah, one is like a three-fingered inlet, and but we did the one just to the west of that. Okay, I see it now. Yeah, all right. Cute little spot would have been protected under you know even most conditions, even if there was a strong westerly. But uh, man, I tell you, these when these thunderstorms come through, you just don't you, you won't really know where the wind's going to come from. It's just going to clock from all around you, of course. So, so in hindsight, it was a bad choice. Uh, then again, we often see light isolated thunderstorms in the forecast. Um, this one didn't turn out to be so light, though. <laughs> I mean, we had some, it was gusting and gusting. So it was coming right so, in from the north, it sounds like, then. It was clocking around. I mean, it was coming from all different ways, and we had wind from every direction. So, well, and it was, so I jump in the water, and, and I grab the, the stern line that's still dangling there, the one that parted. And, uh, and the boat just drags me out into the middle of the bay. You know, we did have whatever. We had our 40 meters of anchor chain out, and eventually the anchor did kind of catch on something. So the boat kind of straightened out and was pointing due north, you know, into the wind. And, um, and I was able to, uh, to pull myself towards the boat, climb up on the dinghy, which luckily we had still out. It was deployed on the side of the boat. Actually, we punctured the floor of it, but uh, the pontoons were still good. So I got to climb up through the, the dinghy up onto the boat. And I was so certain that the, um, that, that we had knocked a hole in the boat, that the, that the water was coming in, that the bilge, bilge pumps were running. So, First thing I did once I had a chance, you know, I got the boat sort of stabilized and pointing into the wind. So I ran down, picked up the floorboards, and um, I was pretty surprised. There was no water, you know, in the bilge. So, so I said, huh, well, maybe I haven't sunk the boat after all. So, so, but then I went back out to the cockpit, grabbed the wheel. I mean, we're getting really tossed around by the wind and the waves. It's just me, you know, all these other, these two families, you know, eight people are still on the shore so getting you're, drenched in rain. So is your friend on the boat with you or are you on your, by yourself on the boat? I'm alone. I'm the only one who jumped in uh, after the boat. Oh, wow. So everyone, everyone's on shore, you know, taking care of the kids. So, uh, so I'm there in the boat. I'm out in the cockpit again, just trying to get control of the boat. The problem is I can't see a thing. I mean, it's pitch black. So suddenly I got the broad idea, well, going to fire off all, you know, put all the navigation lights on, steaming light and everything. And that really lit up the bay. So that, that helped a lot. 
and more or less spent the next four hours or five hours just driving in circles in the bay, trying to keep the boat in place and keep the boat from you know being blown onto shore. So you eventually pulled up the anchor then, is that right? You know, funny, we, we tripped the circuit breaker for the anchor windlass. So the anchor's just out there this whole time. <laughs> you know, it's maybe it was a weedy bottom. It would it was doing something, but it wasn't really holding up. And, and we were probably having gusts, I don't know, uh, probably over 40 knots or something. Um, so I'm, I'm basically just kind of spending the the whole night just driving in circles. I felt so bad. I'm under the bimini, so I'm dry. I mean, it's pouring rain. There's lightning all around. And I mean, it, it was pretty insane. And I felt bad. At all. And and they're all, you know, these two families are stuck on shore and they had no way, there was no shelter anywhere. There was no forest. There was no way to get down to the little, little tiny village or the couple of buildings that were at the head of the bay. I mean, they were just really stuck out in the elements. And this is midnight. This is 1 a.m. This is, this is all the way through sunrise. So... Finally, at sunrise, things kind of settle down a little bit um, to the point that I feel comfortable kind of leaving the, the, the wind seemed to be coming from a stable direction. The anchor was holding seems you know just well enough and it allowed me to get into the flooded dinghy and go over and pick up everyone just you know two by two, just one parent, one child each each run. So now the dinghy, they, uh, did the dinghy have its motor on it at the time? It did, um, but before, or did it? I don't remember, but I do know I topped off on the fuel. I had to, in all this mess, I had to. I, I didn't want to run out of fuel while I was making the little shuttle runs. I had to, you know, motor about I don't know, four or five hundred feet over to 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 get the to get everybody, and I didn't want to run out of gas on the way. So, so I did top off the tank through the just before I did this. Okay, so, so you got a motor on it one way or the other. Then my experience when I get in those gusts on my boat is my dinghy tends to want to flip over on itself, and uh, so I now, as a general rule, won't leave the uh, leave the motor on it overnight because I'm worried about exactly that occurring, and then the dinghy flipping over, and and then I've got a soggy engine at that point in time, which is mm-hmm. always a which is always difficult to get going after that happens. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, through the whole process of bashing on the rocks, we had the dinghy kind of uh, tied off on the side of the boat, so the dinghy was actually getting a bit smashed on the rocks too, and we we punctured the floor of the dinghy. So, it, in our case, it wouldn't have flipped because um, um, it was full of water. I mean, we pierced the floor. It was a soft. It was one of these cheap dinghies that they give you with the charter boats. Um, and yeah, we pierced the bottom. You know, the soft floor. So, so the dinghy was flooded. I mean, the pontoons were still were still fine. Um, luckily. But so the dinghy wasn't going to flip with all that water, you know, in it. Well, you know, on the on the subject of dinghies, my dinghy is getting old, and I'm going to need to probably replace it again this summer. And the last two times I've bought dinghies, I've bought dinghies in America <laughs> and hauled them over as as luggage. But I can't quite get away with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what? I do like uh, my dinghy on 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 my boat on Gaia. It's my boat. I have kind of a hard bottom dinghy that the boat came with, and I'm kind of spoiled by that. I do like the rigid, you know, fiberglass bottom. So what so, what brand is that that you've got? Do you know? I have a Zodiac. A Zodiac. Okay. Okay. So that came with the dinghy. You haven't had to replace it in all these years then, huh? Not yet, but I'm afraid now I'm going to get an update tomorrow. But the big storm we had last Saturday over in Croatia this um, – yeah, I'm hoping it's still on the, on the foredeck where I put it. <laughs> yeah yeah mine just tend to wear out i mean they they i mean i could probably nurse it through but a lot of the seams are giving a you know starting to 
to pull apart and uh and it's just one of those things that you use a dinghy so much that you don't want to be sure suffering on that last summer i couldn't get my motor started but i found out what it was at the end of the summer i got it working at the end of the summer but uh so i was thinking i was going to have to buy a new motor as well but i think i'm okay on that but the dinghy's really just looking old. So I was just wondering, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to buy it over there. Are there any brands that you've seen over there that seem to be decent dinghies? You know, I haven't really followed that at all. Yeah, um, yeah. I see all the charter boat dinghies. When you charter a boat there, they give you the worst dinghy. I mean, here you are, eight, ten people crammed into a 45 to 50 footer, and they give you a dinghy that you know probably safely can't hold more, more than four people. <laughs> I've looked at them. They seem to have... Uh, bigger diameter tubes than my eight foot Achilles has. That's that's their, where that's where they they're they're different. They probably have the same buoyancy as my boat. They're just shorter, you know, with bigger tubes. So I've looked at that and I thought, well, I wish I'd like to get. Uh, actually, I'm looking for a smaller dinghy. My dinghy's a nine foot dinghy and it barely fits on my foredeck. So I want to get down to like a seven to an eight foot dinghy, but with bigger pond, with bigger tubes, so that I've still got the same amount of buoyancy. So I'll do mm-hmm. some research on that and see what I can find. But yeah, that's been my big struggle. My, I think I also have a nine foot dinghy, and it's 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 too nice for my boat. Really, I mean, it's it's a pretty nice dinghy, but it's very cumbersome to deal with. You can probably toss yours over, you know, with my fiberglass bottom. I mean, mine weighs about ninety pounds, so you know, either we're a couple of guys, three guys. Tell you something funny though about that that storm story. So we ended up dam- doing quite a bit of damage to the rudder. So the bottom foot of the rudder was kind of split and delaminating, and uh, so, but it was still functional. Um, we got into the town of Vis in the morning. Once we got all the kids on at sunrise, we motored over to Vis. We called it called the charter company. Yeah, I figured you know our, our trip was over. Um, but charter company said, yeah, yeah, we'll come out in, in our in our in our rib and fix you up. But we have a bunch of other boats to fix on the way. I guess we weren't the only ones that had some trouble. Um, and they got to us that evening, you know, the next evening and they right in the water, right on the town key in, in, in this, they, they pulled our rudder off, put it into their rib. They motored across the bay where they had a little more room to work with. The next morning they brought us back, you know, dinghy was all, the, the rudder was all fixed up. They, they got, they had their epoxy, they had paint. They just clamped it all t- mounted it on and, and we were good to go hmm. which i was really impressed by the service and the ability just to swap out a rudder like that uh you know just overnight it was amazing yeah you know I was, i'm looking at google earth and this is one island i've never been to so you uh, last summer i got over to vela luca and then i got down to uh otak lestavo and last of yeah last of mm-hmm. but i didn't get out to this and uh, do you recommend that area yeah, yeah, definitely. This is really popular. Um, the two main towns, you know, one is Vis, one is Komisha. Yeah, both are great, great stops. Um, they got the Green Cave off the southeast tip of, uh, of Vis, which is worth a stop. They have some buoys there you can tie onto, and then you can take your dinghy over and go into this Green Cave, which is nice. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, Vis is, yeah, it's one of the popular islands. I mean, it's also pretty much it's on the charter milk run, so to speak. I mean, if you charter out of Split or Trogir, you know that's you're probably going to get out to Vissen. Okay, so uh, go there on uh, go there on weekends. Then it sounds like then if you can get there on the weekend, yeah, that would be key. Yeah, Friday night you'll you'll have the place to yourself more or less. All right, all right. So from Vis, you'd probably they probably hop over from Havar and go to Vis and then go back that way then too. So 
Yeah. Which is usually a nice reach. And when you think about the winds, you know, the winds are usually sort of west or northwest. So when you reach across these islands, you know, from the mainland out to Brach or out to Var, out to Vis, you know, it's usually a nice reach. So you end up with nice sailing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so they fixed the dinghy and would do you continue on sailing then, huh? They fixed the rudder. Or and, rudder, yeah, I forgot. Me, they the actually yeah, did they, fix the dinghy too. The f- or they brought us a no, they just brought us a different dinghy. Okay. Here, here we damaged their fancy boat, and and and, and we've screwed everything up. And um, they were just so cool about it that for them, they were just more most interested in keeping us going. So we had a good time. So, but we weren't the only ones. You know, my buddy, so Scott with the Yamel that I was with in, in Greece, he actually had some rudder damage too. And when we pulled into Vis in the morning, one of our neighbors down the way, he he damaged both of his rudders. It was a Bavaria with twin rudders, and his his broken rudders were up on the key, getting full replacements. So. It was yeah, there was some there was some carnage that night. I think a fisherman actually died too in the storm. A local who, you know, didn't really expect it to be as as big as it was. So no. pretty pretty big night. And this is July sixteenth. July sixteenth. This is this is middle of summer where you think it's going to be you know the nicest weather. I wonder where I was on July sixteenth because I was in the water at that point in time. I may have been. No, I was I was I was somewhere north of Dubrovnik, but I don't remember getting in a storm like that. So it must have been more localized. So, huh? Yeah, I know they had it in the Kornadi Islands, which is you know further north, almost towards Zadar. They had it obviously where we were in Vis. So, yep, crazy night. Okay, all right. So, did you ever get on your own boat this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Finally, after a couple <laughs> of weeks with doing the family stuff, finally got. Uh, Got back, got my boat in the water, and then I had, I don't know, four or five weeks of good sailing. And the reason we didn't meet is, um, well, this isn't why, but did you notice, you know, this whole sojourn tax? You've been following uh, the changes in, in that tax lately? No, you better fill us in. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's, up until 2000, so I don't know, they started this like five, six years ago. They, they start, it's a special tax they charge you to actually... For, for sleeping, for overnighting uh, on your boat. It's for you and your guests. I guess it's common. If you have a hotel, you have a, even the marinas used to charge this, but the government wants to tax you when, you when you're an overnighter, when you're a visiting tourist. So, And the way they do it, when you buy your annual cruising permit, they also want you to buy or pay the sojourn tax. So through 2017 for my boat, so for boats between 30 and 40 feet, this was 63 euros to cruise, let's say, for a month. And you have different things. You can choose a week, two weeks, a month, three months. You you bought this last year. Right. I'm sure I did. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so through 2017, this was 63 euros. Suddenly in 2018, they upped it to 163 euros, which Ooh. was just this huge jump. And nobody really figured it out. And if you had a bigger boat, if your boat was more of the 50, 60 footers, I mean, you were really getting slammed by this. So, so just, you know, as, as cruisers complain, Croatia is expensive, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, so what, 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 uh, what does that have to do with everybody getting in the water? You're talking about this as, or just, uh, well, so I spent, I spent more time in Italy, uh, this ah, year. There was, okay. Okay. And the reason we didn't meet, it was because, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I spent a few, of course, you know, I'm leaving from Trogir and I'm going to visit all the normal spots out on Sholta. You know, of course, my buddies always want to go to VAR because it's such a such a party place. So and we were out in Vis. But from Vis, um, you know, with my own boat on Vis, then in early August, we did the, an overnighter over to Italy. So there's a, there was a stretch of Italian coast, east coast, that uh, I hadn't sailed before. And that was 
basically from uh, if you see a map of Italy mm-hmm. and the East Coast, you'll see two kind of you know points that stick out. One is Ancona, which is about two thirds up the the boot, mm-hmm. and the other is further south, uh, Viesta. It's about a third of the way up up the boot. Okay. So that uh-huh. so that middle section uh, I hadn't really explored yet, and okay. um, so I decided I would spend some time over there. And I think I was in Italy when you were up in Trogiers, and that was the reason that we didn't meet. So, so what did you think about from, Italy, the Italian sailing? You know, so the east coast of Italy, so you have the Adriatic Sea. When you think Adriatic, you think of Croatia, the archipelago, all the islands and everything. Italy got the raw end of the deal over there. Italy is just low-lying beaches, no islands. Every harbor is sort of artificial, right? It's, it's a dugout river basin. Mm-hmm. So from a sailing perspective, it's, um, yeah, it, it's way inferior, you know, and in August, everyone who has boats, you know, Italians with their boats, they leave Italy. I mean, they head over for Croatia to spend their, their August holidays. So, but, but to make up for it, Italians are super fun, friendly. The food is amazing. Um, every marina has space because they're all gone. They're all in Croatia. <laughs> so you didn't have to worry about, you know, not getting, getting a spot. Um, so, so it's fun for a little, you know, just the just have a little bit of a different experience than just doing the, the typical Croatia thing. I mean, still Croatia is, is, is far better. But especially in Italy, you know, this that second week of August is their Ferragosto week where, like, just industry shuts down and just everyone heads, you know, and it's hot inland, everyone just heads to the sea. So it's it's basically just a nonstop party. I mean, even the nights we thought we were going to just kind of take it mellow, we, we couldn't. We always stumbled upon some kind of live music or some kind of beach party or, or something. So... So, so Italy is a little different, you know, it's not, like I said, not, not great, not a great sailing experience, but overall cultural experiences is just awesome. Now with the guys you were sailing with, the people you were sailing with, have they, had they been on your boat before? Yeah, I definitely have some recurring friends who just, who love it so much that they, they keep coming back. I'd say about half the, you know, half my crew is, you know, re- returning and, and half are, are newbies. Okay. Okay. All right. So the Italian, how far up Italy did you get then? You know, so when you sail over from this, it's only 65 miles, actually, which we chose to do as an overnighter uh, mm-hmm. to the something called the Tremiti Islands. That's a little cluster of islands. Like I said, there's no islands on this coast, but the Tremiti Islands are actually the only sort of little group of islands. It's an awesome little cluster, maybe five, six little islands. Um, lots to do, caves, grottos, um, you know, old fortress and little small village to explore. Super nice. So, if you if you're on Google Earth, there you can see it's yep, pretty I'm much due south of right this. Now. Yep, I'm right there as you're talking. Just zooming in here. Yeah, Vill- Villaggio San Dom- Domino. Domino. Yeah. Let's yeah. yeah. The mm-hmm. Little village there. Okay. Yeah. yeah so it's a beautiful there. They have mooring buoys set up for visiting yachts. That's pretty well organized. Not too well protected. In the afternoons, it was pretty uncomfortable. And in the evenings, it was pretty uncomfortable on the boat. Um, in the anchorage, but but just a beautiful place to visit, and and again and and both the Tremiti Islands and that whole east coast of Italy. I mean, there are no foreign tourists. This is just so far off the radar, and uh, you see kind of the real Italy. You know, you go to Venice, you go to Rome. I mean, you kind of feel. I feel like I'm getting duped a lot. You know, I'm mm-hmm. getting overcharged for things. Um, but that east coast of Italy, you know, when you're yeah, you just get to see the nice real real Italians down to earth, fun, friendly, and not not out there to gouge you. How long did you stay there? I guess we used about 
10, 12 days from the Tremedy Islands and then up the whole coast. Okay, all right. Okay. And then up the coast to Ancona. So basically harbor hopping. We had great sailing too. I mean, most of the time it was this perfect beam reach, maybe 10 knots. So we're going five, six knots, really smooth and comfortable. Um, The last couple days of approaching Ancona was actually quite a bit of beating. So sort of beating into 20 knots, which is definitely less comfortable. Um, You're still sailing at least, but. I prefer the 10 knot beam reach. That's just such smooth, <laughs> comfortable sailing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't like beating either. I say, okay, I'll turn around and go somewhere else if I have to beat very far or stop mm-hmm. and, or turn on the motor. But motoring's not much fun either. So, yeah. But Ancona is Sometimes, a, a big marina. What about there. Ancona? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big marina there. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and Kona, it's this big, big, big harbor. I mean, I think it's just two miles just to get across the harbor, up into the into the little uh, yacht club at the deep into into the harbor. But I wasn't looking forward to it. You know, I, I don't like these big, you know, just non-intimate places. Um, but it ended up being kind of a cool place. Um, you know, it's a big ferry port. I mean, the Croatian ferries kind of go over there, and other ferries. Uh, but I had a good time. Just su- super nice spot. Um, a little too hot. This summer was especially these, these few weeks in August. You know, it was definitely hotter than usual, and that that kind of that wears you down. And humid, something about that that coast of Italy it usually seems to be more humid than uh, than yeah, elsewhere. It's, it's all that agriculture, all the water and the agriculture. I think because yeah, you're right. Is it when I've got off uh, and just traveled inland in in Italy, it just feels so so humid in the summer. So. Yeah, I don't know how you do. I mean, you're you're a Utah guy. I know you don't know humidity at all, and I'm out here. We have cold humidity in San Francisco, yeah. but well, let me tell I do you, not know anything. I wear I wear sweatbands, and I just uh, about every hour I have to wring them out, and it's just uh, <laughs> I cannot get enough water in me. I mean, I just drink water all day long, and and uh, and I especially when I first get over there, and it's just you know if you watch me working, it's like drip, 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 drip off my nose if I'm. If I'm somewhere. So, yeah, it's, the humidity really gets to me fairly fast. It takes me a while to acclimate to it. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and you don't have an air conditioner on your boat either, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't see an old 70s, 36-footer like mine getting air conditioning, but, <laughs> oh, sometimes I wish for it. I mean, there have been some seasons where I've just checked into a hotel like or some kind of, you know, apartment, um, just anything with air conditioning or sitting in indoor cafes for breakfast just to get a break because sometimes there's been a couple summers where it's just been so overbearing yeah yeah and you find august to be the hottest as well yeah i would say yeah from late july definitely through mid-august yeah yeah it seems like it yeah yeah i'm going to try to get on my boat the first of june this year and be taking my boat out at the end of july so i don't get in that late august because i put my boat up at in the middle of august before and it's just been even worse than july so We'll see if I uh, if I'm right in my plans this year, but yeah. I sometimes think about adjusting my season to that way, like let's say putting up the boat in early August. But there's, there are those days you have to kind of put your boat away for the winter, and I, something about that heat and in the boatyard and uh, muscling down your sails and folding them up and all the all the things you have to do. That's that's also kind of a turnoff. <laughs> it's it's the, putting the boat in and taking the boat out of the water are the two worst parts of the summer for me. I just I dread it, and it, it takes a, you know between the two and the maintenance you have to do. You're talking about a, a week, of, yeah, probably a good five six days of time if you're efficient 
you know. Sure. At least that's yeah. the way it seems to work for me. Two and a half putting in and two and a half taking out if everything works out perfectly. Yeah, it's a uh, you know my buddy Scott with the Amel, uh, he fixed his boat up and so he's fine everything. But he did some calculation when he was looking at whether to buy a boat. He said, you know, seven months out of the year and still be still be better off. So I don't know if I buy the seven month thing, but uh, but there is a point to. Uh, it's just like when I chartered the boat with that family. I mean, it was so easy to show up here, are the keys, here's your intro, you know. And when you're done, you just hand the keys over and just walk away. I, I do envy those people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But there is some pride. You built your boat, you know, you built your whole interior. And, you know, for me, I'm pretty passionate about my boat. And, you know, it's kind of a hobby to kind of spruce things up, improve things, you know, make things, set things up the way I like them. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's not all about money, right? No, and the other thing is, is you always hear these people say oh, it makes more sense to charter a boat. Well, you know what? Those people never charter boats. If you buy, if you own a boat, you're going to go use it, whether you like, whether you like it or not. So you're forced to, right? Yeah, yeah, you're forced to. Like people ask me, people ask me, oh, so you're going to sail again in the summer? Well, I still own it, so I guess I have to. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's good for the boat just to let it sit for you know you know nearly two years unused. I mean, you go from August one year to you know july two years later you know, that's basically you know two years of inactivity so i get a lot of people asking me for your your google earth their, your kmz files and i've i've got them linked on my website to your website but uh, again just give people your website so they can go directly there and get your kmz files and i'll put again in the show notes as well well the website so my boat is called gaia which is g-e-j-a and the website is uh, www.sailgaya.com. Um, those track files, I don't think, are easy to find on there. So I think they're better off, uh, yeah, if they refer to your uh, your show notes. I'll, I'll remind you of the link. Okay. Yeah. I need to remind myself what that link is. <laughs> okay. So, so let's or, do it that way. Okay. Uh, that's what I'll do. I'll go back and I know I've put them in previous show notes and previous episodes, so I'll just have to go copy those over for this one. So. So plans for next summer? When, when are you going to go, and where are you going to go? Yeah, you know, I was I was saying before I had kind of this uh, sweetheart deal in Trogear, which has kind of expired now. So I'm t- talking about paying top dollar. I think it's about four thousand euros now to keep my boat on an annual basis on the hard. That's the quote I got. That's the quote I got. That's why I'm not there. And uh, Dubrovnik's yeah. about half of that, but it's still not a bargain. Not quite half of that, but a lot less. And that's that's why I'm going to be heading up to northern Italy, just just because of that. So that and I haven't been up to Venice either, so I thought that would be fun to get to Venice. Yeah, you do have to take your own boat to Venice. I've been up twice, and that that's a treat. That is very cool. And, uh, yeah, definitely check in with me as, you, as you're getting closer, as you're planning it. You give you some cool tips on how to best enjoy it up there. So, but as far as, as far as my marina now, you know, costing four, four grand and that's euros. I mean, let's add another, what, 15% of that. If you want to talk dollars, it's $4,600. And that's a lot. Um, the marina was new a few years ago. So they had this introductory half off deal, which I just bought like three seasons up front just to lock that in. But now that's, uh, that's expired. So I know, you know, people talk about the cheaper marinas, uh, down in, uh, Sicily, you know, Marina Ragusa and, and Licata. So. But they don't have they don't they don't have haul out facilities in Ragusa. That's the problem. I've looked at Ragusa myself, but they just don't have haul out facilities. It's for a liveaboard. It's a liveaboard marina. 
It is, it is. But then I started thinking, you know, maybe it's okay if the boat's in the water. That saves a lot of steps, you know, at the beginning and end of the season. Um, then again, I'm glad my boat wasn't in the water this past weekend in Croatia. So, so I don't know. And I also feel like, well, I mean, I've done quite a few seasons now in the Adriatic. And, you know, if I'm going to continue to own the boat, I should start to get more adventurous and get around and explore more of the Med. Um, so that was, a, you know, maybe a reason to get over to Sicily for a winter and then keep going west from there. Algeria is kind of on my radar for some odd reason. Just sounds kind of off the beaten path. Are you hearing of sailors sailing in Algeria? Yeah, you know, when you Google it, you don't come across much, but you do come across a bit. Um, and people have had good experiences. I mean, it's it's a lot of bureaucracy, and you know, you're, you're kind of just going from harbor to harbor. Um, but I don't know. It just it sounds sounds funky. Sounds kind of cool. I mean, it's more. More exciting than going to Italy again, I think. You could always go and go to Turkey. Turkey might be a place to go as well. Yeah. yeah so Greece and yeah, Turkey, I hear crazy things about, you know, they actually they're are they really requiring you to have a gray water tank now for your for your Oh, uh, that's you been know, your sink. That, that's been the rules for years and years and years, but they never enforce it. Okay. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what I hear from people all the time, but I've never yet once see them ever come on a boat and actually see if you have a gray water tank. Because every gullet that's over there would be out of business if that were the case. So, uh, you right. know, <laughs> I've, I've heard that, but you know, they've never come on my boat, and your boat and my boat are about the same. I don't. I, there may be a, a certain size boat that they're going to say that you need to have it, but those rules have been in place, but they've never been enforced from my perspective on that. So, mm-hmm. the only thing. That tell I, me, tell me about the weather. Is is it hotter in Turkey than say in Croatia? No, it's about the same. It's about the same. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, Croatia, I'm kind of at my limit on what I can tolerate for heat. So and if Turkey were, you know, a few degrees warmer, that would be, eh, well. But if you say it's kind of similar, then, uh, then I'm probably okay. Yeah, you're, 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 sim- you're pretty darn similar. And you'd probably be like me if you – I remember one time uh, when I had my boat in um, – where was it? It was uh, – Cushadasi, and I know I'm, not, I'm pronouncing that wrong, but that's the way I pronounce it. Somebody wrote me and said, you're pronouncing it wrong, but he didn't actually tell me how to pronounce it. So anyway, Cushadasi, <laughs> I put my, I was on the heart in Cushadasi, I was by myself, and I'd get up early in the morning, start doing all the chores I had as I was putting the boat away, and the call to prayer would come on, and I'm working away, and a few hours later, the call to prayer comes on again, and few hours later, the call to prayer comes on again. A few hours later, the call to prayer comes on again. And, and then as the evening comes in, the call to prayer comes on again. It's like four or five times a day. And I'm thinking, geez, if I had to actually, if I was a devout <laughs> Muslim, I wouldn't get any work done. <laughs> There'd be no, no work that wouldn't. I'd get done on this <laughs> boat. <laughs> so, but the Turks don't, uh, at least the ones I saw, didn't seem to take that very seriously. And you know, the boat yard, okay. boat yard, the work continued in the boat yard. And that's a great marina, by the way, if, if you head over there, it's a good place to go. But as far as the best place for hauling out, uh, I'd go down to Bodrum and go to Yacht Lift for, uh, for a dry, for hauling out. They're just, just a big boat yard. And I've been there many times, but yeah, if you ever head that way, you know, or you could go down and, and leave your boat in Greece about the only place in Greece that you, that I know of where there's a good haul out facility is in, uh, in Previsa, and you went right by Previsa when you went by. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, yep. no, you did. Yeah, you did. You went right by Previsa as you went through uh, uh, from Levkas heading north. You went right by it, and there's a big boat yard there. 
the year I came over to Croatia, I, in hindsight, I wish I'd just stopped and sailed around Greece a little longer and wintered my boat in Provisa, but 2020 hindsight, and then head on mm-hmm. out there. But, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Back to this summer, though. So, I mean, yeah, I'm usually getting in the water, or I'm usually arriving there in early July, you know, in the water mid-July and get my five, six weeks in. So, so but, but I'm hoping, so, and I don't know if I'm really going to, you know, desert Croatia now or be lazy and do it, do it a year later. But, uh, I do want to connect with you. So I'm a little bit curious what your timing is when you think you're going to be, you're heading North, of course, from Dubrovnik. So curious when you might be passing the split region. So I'm, I'm thinking of heading over there, uh, like I say, around the 1st of June and, uh, that like, and I need to start my time clock over for, uh, my VAT tax, the nonsense that you have to jump through over there. So I'll have to go down to, um, um, Montenegro and check in at Montenegro. As laws are not part of the EU, and I hear they're talking about joining the EU, which would just be. <laughs> then, then I'd say, okay, maybe get back to Turkey again for me. But uh, then I'll. So it'll probably be about t- uh, two weeks that I'll be start. Well, let's see. I'll, I'll spend a few days in Montenegro and then work my way north. So I'd probably be going up by uh, Havar and Split probably about mm, the 1st of July or maybe even a little sooner than that and then start working my way north from there. So you may be getting on your boat after I've passed you in, uh, in Troger. So Yeah, that'd be a shame. Maybe you have to slow down a bit. <laughs> Maybe I'll just put it in a little <laughs> later. So my big debate this year is I had this opportunity, and I talked about this in the last podcast, to sail across the Atlantic in a 165-foot powerboat. And I was tempted okay. to do that. But uh, I told the guy, I said, well, that means I would be putting my boat up in August because I'd be getting on my boat the 1st of July just like you are. And that means I'm putting my boat up at the end of August, which is the – for me, the, I've always thought it was the hottest time of the year to be putting my boat up. And so I've declined for that reason primarily. And so I want to get it out before that. I was thinking try to get it out first or second week in August and or maybe even earlier than that. I've always enjoyed the early seasons, the Mays and Junes. Even though the water is cold, it's nowhere near as crowded. And, it's a, and sometimes you can get some nice southerly winds at that time of the year too. Yeah, the water is definitely a little cooler. Um, you know, the weather up north in the northern Adriatic, you know, it, it is less stable. I mean, even in the middle of the summer, you'll have, you know, the weather will be a little funkier up there than uh, than in the than around Split, for example. Yeah, that was um, my experience when I got up there north one other, one other time. I got as far as Rovinje, Rovinje. That's how I pronounce it. Rovin, Rovinje. Rovine. Rovine. Okay, and yeah, it it was really unsettled and that was in september so that sort of turned me off for sailing in september so I mm-hmm. yeah but the nice thing in june like i mean the, the longest day of the year is what june 21st right i mean and i love the long days and you know further north you really notice it that the days are long you also notice the tides when you're up in venice you suddenly have you know up to one meter tides that you actually have to take into account when you when you met more hmm. and you don't think of that about that anywhere else in the mediterranean nope not at all <laughs> oh well, what else should we should we cover before we call it a uh, an interview, Andrew? What should we cover? Boy, we covered quite a bit. Um, I do love being in Croatia. I think it's one thing that kind of keeps me there is that, you know, for my all my different crew that come in and out, there's so many good airport connections and the transportation works well. 
there's always a place to anchor. I mean, that book, right? It's, doesn't mm-hmm. it say 888 anchorages and yeah. ports? Yeah. I mean, there's even in the high season, you're always, there's always going to be a spot somewhere, you know, you'd have to be willing in some cases, you know, to send one of your crew on shore with a line, you know, to tie to a tree or to a rock. Um, but yeah, it's going to be hard to leave. I, I, it is, I think it's like the most ideal place to, to sail really in, in the med. Um, but you know, yeah, I should, I did enjoy Sicily. I've been to Sardinia, I've been to Corsica with a boat and, and I'd love to revisit some of those. I'd love to get out to the Balearics. Um, French Riviera, I guess, sounds pretty cool. Spanish coast, maybe not so much. Yeah, um, it, it's 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 boring coast in my opinion. Yeah, the Spanish coast, yeah, just mm-hmm. marina hopping is all it is along the Spanish coast. So yeah, yeah, no, that's that's not sailing. I mean, that's just that's like taking an RV. You know, I always make the comparison. You know, that's kind of taking your RV around and going from campsite to campsite. Where I don't know, sailing Croatia is more like taking your motorcycle and going on a curvy mountain road <laughs> yeah. you know, as you tack yeah. between the islands and you know, find these nice little intimate bays to to stay in. So, But I hope we get a chance to meet. You know, Maybe all uh, my schedule isn't set. Maybe I could kind of – I mean ideally we have our boats kind of rafted up together in some cool spot somewhere. <laughs> well, we'll That would be – you're on Skype, and we have uh, we have Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere we go. Get off the boat, there's going to be a Wi-Fi cafe there. So, yeah, we'll catch up, and we'll stay in touch then. Yeah, I'll see if I can maybe uh, skew my schedule a little bit or a little bit earlier, which I don't mind either. You know, it's longer days and just kind of beat the crowds a little bit. Oh. Yeah, when I get my schedule put together, and I'm going to try to get it done this week, I'll send you a uh, a copy of it. So I'm sort of waiting yeah, for my great. daughter to commit to when she wants to come over and go sailing. Because I I'll work around her this summer, so I, when I do that, I will send you a a uh, schedule and you can take a look at it and see if there's places that look like it'd be logical to hook up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And as far as your connectivity over there, I might consider since you're such a world traveler, uh, either having T-Mobile or the Google Fi, because then your your data connection will work pretty much, you know, worldwide. Well, I know what so T-Mobile is. What's Google, what's Google Fi? Google Fi is it's kind of like having a it, it's it's another mobile operator. Um, it's actually pretty inexpensive. You you pay more as you use it, depending on how much data you use and how much talk time. Um, but it gives you high speed data pretty much in most countries in the world. Never heard of it. So it's uh, so it's tied to Wi Fi, or does it have its own cell signal that goes out? It's its own cell. So yeah, it's a proper cell signal. But you'll be able to get data, of course, locally in Utah. You'll get you know your Usual phone connection and data connection, but also when you travel, you'll have, you know, high-speed data pretty much from all the local cell towers. I haven't needed really a foreign SIM card in, in a, quite a long time, huh. although I still have my Croatian number. I've had the same Croatian SIM card for about 12, you know, the original one I got in 2008. I still have it, um, just, I don't know, nostalgic reasons. It doesn't really cost much to, to keep it alive. Yeah, I always seem to let them expire because I don't top them off in the middle of the year. They always want you to top them off after about three months, whether you use it or not. And uh, mm-hmm. so I always have to go get a new SIM card when I get over there. But maybe you're right. I My daughter traveled through Europe using T-Mobile, and she was pretty happy with it. Yeah, it's just, you know, then you don't have to worry anymore about if you have Wi-Fi or you check into the country. Okay, now I got to go find a SIM card. It's, it's just nice once you're in, you cross over to Italy this summer, you know, just, it's just, you'll just have data right there. Not that I guess, I mean, I don't see you doing, you know, insane amounts of Instagram or anything like that, but it's still nice to get some messages off, right. To maybe coordinate with 
crew or family back home or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's always good to have a phone number they can call when they land and say, where are you? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Andrew, thank you for coming on again. We will put the links to those uh, KMZ files again in the show notes. And uh, let's keep in touch. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks a lot, Franz. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yeah, take care. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.